Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Memory Card, a video game book club from your friends here at Lore Party. Every month we'll announce a new game. It'll be short and cheap and it'll be pretty new to all of us and we'll have a roundtable discussion of the game and its lore. Joining me today is executive producer of Lore Party, Abu Zafar. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? I'm doing fantastic. Also joining me today is Renaissance Man and Overwatch extraordinaire, Caleb Ferentz. How are you doing today, Caleb? Can't complain. Try though I might. You never know who's listening. <laughs> <laughs> and also joining me is Lawrence Kelly. How are you doing today, Lawrence? I get no special title. I'm doing awesome. That's the joke. Uh. So this month we have played uh, the 2D puzzle platformer Thomas Was Alone. And before we get into it, sort of like the nitty gritty of the game's lore, I'm just kind of curious as to your thoughts of the game overall. So um, Abu, this, so this is, uh, from my understanding, your first time playing through this game. So did you like the game or how how'd you how'd you feel about it? I really enjoyed the parts of the game that I played. So full disclosure, before we get too far into this discussion, uh -oh. uh, I only played about like the first fourth of the game. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then I just did my homework and I did my research and I, um, outside of actually playing the game, I did other prep work for this episode. But the fourth of the game that I did play, I honestly really enjoyed. And that's coming from somebody who absolutely hate platformers. I despise platformers. I'm so bad at them. They're so frustrating. But Thomas Was Alone really sucked me in. And I think a lot of that is due to the voice acting and the, the world building and the storytelling that was already getting underway just a fourth of the way into it. Do you even game, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Can't finish no, this No, I'm too busy running this podcast, executive producer Abu Zafar, remember? <laughs> Uh-oh, business talk. Gotta go. Businessman. <laughs> So, so Caleb, you've played a little bit of this game. This is your first time actually playing through the whole game. Uh, is that correct? Yes. Um, I had started it before. I hadn't finished it. This is my first time doing a full playthrough. I I am very much on the side of Abu, where I just, I'm not a fan of platformers. But at the same time, though, like, this one did manage to suck me in through just its, its originality, its creativity. And I think, like... I think in a lot of ways, um, Thomas Was Alone is the type of game that gets me really excited about video game storytelling because of all the unique ways that it tells its story. That is that is very well said. Um, and Lawrence, this uh, also is your first time playing playing the game, period. Uh, yes. Is that right? Yes. Uh, so did you like it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, actually, I, I thought it was great. Um, it checks a lot of my boxes for quote-unquote things I like. It's like, a, it's really minimal. Um, there's a super in-depth story without trying to be, I don't know, flashy. It's, it just was a, it was a fun playthrough. It was a really simple game. Um, it's easy to navigate because I had issues playing it at first. Like, um, I accidentally deleted my save file and I had to start over. <laughs> Classic Lawrence. I remember screaming to the top of my lungs, like, damn it. 
And then I got back to where I was in maybe like 10 or 15 minutes. I don't know if that was the adrenaline pumping, but it was a good game. Like, great story, great way of doing everything, and yeah. All right, cool. Uh, so, like, sort of like touching on what Caleb said with sort of like the unique way that um, Thomas Was Alone tells its story. How'd you guys respond to the sort of like the unique way that the game sort of designs its characters and sort of gives them personality just through through design and um, like animation and things like that? It's, uh, I think, um, a lot of it's the animation and a lot of it's the design. I think the the unique part of it is how all elements of it go together. It isn't just the shapes that give them personality and it isn't just the animation. It also ties into the gameplay and the music. Like, even just looking at the first three, it was what, Thomas, Chris, and James? John. Um, John. John. Yeah, Thomas, Sorry, Chris, Tom, and John. Thomas, Chris, yeah, Thomas, Chris, and John. Like, even, like, with that, it differentiated between them because of the, um, differentiated between them because they were different shapes, but the actual, like, animation and characterization of them was a gameplay element. It was the way they played differently. Chris fell to the ground very heavily and didn't jump very high, and that reflect that was reflected in his actual personality. Um, Thomas was a lot more lively, and John even more so, like... The movement styles and the gameplay styles of the individual, um, in air quotes, characters of the individual geometric shapes that were the AIs goes on to reflect who they are in their personality. Yeah, you, you actually you you mentioned AIs, and I don't think we've actually set up what this what the story in this game is yet, right? Like these are computer programs that we're playing. These are artificial intelligences that have gone rogue, and. Thomas is the first one, or at least the first one that we're introduced to that goes rogue, and he's navigating his way through these platforms, through these puzzles that we as the gamer are playing, but Thomas is also experiencing them. He's experiencing the portals that take him to the next level. He's trying to figure out what is going on, like what his world is, what he's doing, what his purpose is, and the first few levels, I think, do an incredible job of setting that up, and I think the writing was just so sharp right at the top of the game to initially set up that premise. Yeah, and it was it was super relatable. Like some of some of the like kind of internal conflict that he was having at the beginning of the game. Um, it was like everything from like you were saying, like, who am I to is the world against me? Maybe the world wants me to win. Um, and then it was like, okay, I feel like really good about the things I'm doing or like, you know, the the jumping aspect and whatnot. And then it was just like I wish I had someone to kind of share in these experiences with me. Yeah, that that quick evolution. I think you just basically laid out the first four sort of tutorial levels of the game and that initial journey that Thomas goes through, his awakening, his confusion as to where he is and what he's doing, his acceptance of what he's doing and sort of the forward motion that the world is forcing him to go through, and then his eventual, as the title states, his eventual loneliness and his want to interact with other characters. And it's soon after that we meet our first character, and of course, it's Chris, the yes. grumpiest and angriest and non-friendly of the bunch. And isn't that just like life, though? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, damn, I just really want a friend. And then you find someone who's an asshole, but they're just, like, there's... There are redeeming qualities. Yeah, well, it's funny because like, um, like with like Chris and like specifically um, Claire a little bit after that, you see these characters, and before even like the narration hits, I sort of like got 
a feel for their personality just from, you know, like the way that they're designed. So like Chris in comparison to Thomas is just like a flat, you know, short square. So like I thought of him as like, like a grumpy Danny DeVito type. And then John, you know, you know, tall and, and slender. He's like, you know, the, the Olympian athlete kind of, you know, who jumps really high and, you know, Claire's, you know, like I sort of had her as thought of her as like, maybe someone with like, you know, like body image issues or something yes. like that. And mm-hmm, then has mm-hmm. to, has to have some confidence. And yes, they um, tell these through just the, you know, the design of, of the characters, you know, immediately before even the narration hits. Absolutely. Uh, I think Caleb touched on this earlier too. Just the fact that the design of these characters is a part of their character is like a part of who they are and their personalities. And then you laid it out perfectly as far as the first three characters, uh, Thomas, Chris, and John, these were the ones in my very short playthrough that I got to know the most. <laughs> and you laid it out perfectly. Like that is exactly the image of the quote unquote people that I had in my mind, sort of the athletic tall Olympian. I almost imagined John as this handsome AI, you know, if he was a person, I feel like he'd be the most handsome of the bunch. And then Chris is a total square, both in personality and in quite literal shape. He's, he's just a grumpy square. So you're absolutely, both of you are absolutely right. The, the shape, I would go as far as to say even the color of the, of the, geometric shapes really ties into like there was thought that went into that they they weren't just randomly chosen like it really ties into the types of artificial intelligence that each character is yeah i would agree with that like the the bright yellow color that they used for john and his like person like his bright but kind of like lacking in intelligence kind of personality (laughs) where he's like hey these guys are like here because they're supposed to help me extend my reach so i like them they're cool and then like um in in contrast you get like kind of the darker color for chris who's just basically like i hate all of you guys you guys are annoying i can pick out parts of your personality that are just terrible yeah and lawrence like you like you related it back to real life i think these are all sort of archetypes of people that we've all come across in our lives these are the types of people or at least a subset of the types of people that most people will interact with throughout their lives. You know, the the handsome, tall, athletic guy who's not too intelligent, the short, grumpy guy who's not friendly, but maybe comes around eventually. The, you know, Claire, obviously, like Michael said, the person with the maybe the body image issues who can actually do something that no one else can, you know, like they are incredible, but maybe because of their uh, self-esteem issues, they don't realize how special and amazing they are. And then even moving forward from that, Laura, the person who feels used all the time, like those are all people, as I say these characters, I I can immediately think of people that I've met throughout my life, both friends, colleagues, random people I've, you know, come across and barely interacted with, all sort of fit into into these subsets. And you know what this reminds me of? High school. Ooh. Ooh. Freaking high school. That's just like all of those personality types. I just encountered every single one of them in high school. So now I'm feeling like really old and also uh, really nostalgic and depressed at the same time. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> we're, we're taking it back, folks. Well, it's, it's funny because like I, I, when we get to James, who's like one of the last of the main, you know, first set of characters, because there are two different sets of characters that we play through, you know, the first six are sort of like the architects these are the people who are just now discovering sort of not quite discovering the real world but discovering their own 
uh, sort of sentience and way that they can sort of learn and grow on their own. And I've always imagined like James, cause he's the one who's like, his gravity is flipped. I thought of him as like, he's the stoner in the high school. He's high all the time. He's upside down <laughs> in all, all sorts. Is of that why he's place. green? <laughs> Oh my, oh jeez. Boom. <laughs> Symbolism. Man, I did not pick up on that. Like it's it's unusual for like a game to have like an sort of an omnipotent narrator. And uh, I was just kind of curious, like when you first started playing the game, um, how did you react to like sort of having your your story, having this narrator whom we we don't really know exactly who he is or what he's what he's doing there i'm just kind of curious as to like how you felt when he first started you know narrating your your playthrough well my immediate reaction was to think of bastion which is a uh this incredible game by supergiant games where the story is told in a very similar fashion where a narrator basically narrates what's happening on screen and explains the story as it unfolds and it's just a single person's voice that you hear throughout the story and it's actually interesting we haven't mentioned this yet all of these characters that we're talking about chris john claire they don't have voices they, they don't actually speak That's true the narrator is the only person that is speaking to us as the gamer um, so I, I thought of bastion right off the bat in bastion of course we later find out that the narrator is actually a character in the universe i'm not sure if we come to that realization in this game maybe one of you can answer that yeah i would say it it's never made obvious whether he's a specific person in the game like my own interpretation would almost be because of the way the quotes are made it almost feels like a documentary you could almost say in theory thomas was alone plays like a documentary of its world's history that is an interesting take wow yeah i hadn't thought of that yeah and like the the quotes you get in between the chapters are the types of quotes you would get in a documentary or a book that's on the history of the emergence of these AIs. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like someone's just like recounting the events that kind of led up to the emergence, just like Caleb said, to someone else. And that's kind of how I played the game. Like it's a story where you kind of get to to see what happens at the same time. It's their origin story. Exactly. And like it's just I imagine that it is another AI out in the real world, you know, telling this to maybe a group of regular people and AIs. Yeah, I mean, this is a story about Thomas and his friends and these geometric AI blocks, but it's also, like, big picture-wise, it's a story of, like, AI awakening. It's a story of, what do they call it? Like, the emergence or something? Yeah, I mean, the yeah, like, the... Like the first half of the game is like the architects going into what they call the the creation matrix, which is yeah that these AIs sort of like coming together and then like hitting sort of like a emergence or enlightenment or something like that, and then realizing oh there's a greater world out there. Let's see if we could do more to make, sort of bend that world to what we want as as AIs. Yeah, and from the from the research that I did, it sounds like this is a first. Like AI has not achieved this until. Thomas and company does it for the first time and it sort of changes the way that AI is used and interacted with in the real world. So touching on sort of what happens after the emergence, we get, you know, all of our characters that we play through, you know, in the first half, you know, Thomas, you know, all the way up to, you know, Sarah, the girl who, you know, double jumps. 
uh, they all, you know, basically sacrifice themselves. They all, they all die. And we have these, these new AIs. And I'm kind of curious, Lawrence, um, once we get to the, the second half, once we get to like gray and Sam and, you know, team jump, um, you know, hashtag team jump, I'm on team jump. Uh, <laughs> how, how did you, how did you respond to like how, like, Oh, all of these characters we have, you know, we had up until this point are now dead. I need to sort of learn to be friends with these sort of like new characters. Be, that was that was difficult for me at first just because like you grow you have this like attachment to these people and now they're gone and there's these new this new set of people um the whole like buffer thing or what do they what do they call it the uh where you kind of take the abilities of the, the buffering box mm-hmm. where that that helped me because it, i was like okay i feel like i'm playing like everybody at the same time um but they just kind of look different so me, it's to, to me, I kind of look at it like I'm going back to my high school analogy. Um, the second half of the game was like graduating and being in college and meeting people, meeting people that uh, you knew or like, I don't know, reconnecting with friends that you knew before. And they're more mature now, but there's still that little reminiscent uh, piece of their personality that you knew and loved in the past. I actually would disagree with that metaphor. The metaphor I would go more to Instead of going to, it would be like going back to not so much your reunion. It would be like going back to your high school a generation or two later. And you can see the aspects of your high school that have changed maybe even as a direct result of your classes. And so that's the thing is you get to see the influence that Thomas and his friends had on the world around them. And that's the thing where I actually didn't have any trouble getting reattached to these new characters because I didn't feel like Thomas and the others were gone. I felt like they were still influencing the story. It was just from behind the scenes and it still felt like what was going on was a continuation of their actions. I actually really appreciate that. I think that that's a good way to state that. As someone who just had a 10-year high school reunion that he didn't attend, I can appreciate what Caleb was saying there. (laughs) I didn't didn't attend mine either. (laughs) It's um, interesting that the um, second set of characters did have significant um, internal and interpersonal conflicts with each other, even to the point of some of them all but straight up fighting each other and manipulating each other. It's interesting because in a lot of ways that's almost as if the game claiming that those internal conflicts were the depending on how you consider it, either the result or the cost of the the original architects giving the AI space um, a greater sentience and self-awareness. Yeah, well, to Caleb, to go along with that, actually, your theory from earlier about whether or not this is potentially a retelling or a documentary or someone in the future recalling this story of the architects and the AIs, I think something else that's interesting to think about is whether or not these architects are sort of revered. Uh. That original group may sort of be deified, and it already is. This second group, I mean, um, which character is it that's, like, obsessed with the architects as, like, a religion? I think Paul, right? Like, Paul looks up yeah. to the original architects in, in almost a religious way. If this is a retelling of the original story, I would be sort of hesitant to assume that that first part the first characters that we got to know the original architects uh were not sort of looked back through rose tinted glasses like maybe the retelling of their story was 
a little more polished up than reality, just because they are the the original architects, and at this point they're revered. Like an unreliable narrator, um, deifying and glamorizing. That's actually a really interesting way to look at it. My thought on that would be that you do see flaws in the character in a way that you wouldn't necessarily see them in the way you would deify a historical figure, in the way they have some of their kind of unique and kind of quirky and intentionally awkward interactions. Oh, it's funny how you mentioned like the the unreliable narrator uh, sort of telling the story after the fact, because getting into the actual like ending ending of of the game, uh, once we have this you know second generation of AIs, we have we expect Gray because uh, his goal is to you know ascend into the real world, and we get we have like this omnipresent pixel cloud as being sort of this you know, main antagonist, this one who's, you know, keeps on absorbing these AIs as though they're, you know, they're like a, um, like McAfee antivirus or something like that, just like <laughs> destroying, destroying these AIs. And of oh the God, second group of, <laughs> of the second group of characters, um, you know, Gray is the first one to actually get destroyed. And it's the, the couple whom he, you know, betrays. It's, uh, Sam and Joe. They're the ones who actually, are the ones ascending into the real world and it would be presumably their opinions that are the ones that get um that get told speaking of couple i had a question for you guys because i didn't get to this second i didn't get to the second cast of characters in my playthrough are they like a couple from the start it's like baked into their personality yeah yeah (laughs) how does that work for artificial intelligence it just does uh, well, when an AI loves another AI. Oh, I see. When one AI loves a dad. Where do, where do baby AIs come from? <laughs> the bits and the bites discussion. All right, boys and girls. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Sit down while I tell you a story. <laughs> I think we found our Instagram video uh, quote of the day. Holy shit. I'm crying. I'm like legit crying. I have to wipe away tears. I was going to say that actually, that's actually something that's kind of loosely addressed in the um, intro dialogue where they talk about the origins of the AI and how the AI have um, kind of these like, weird emergent personality strings but those weird emergent personality strings are what also gave some of them associations with each other so in theory that could be where the quote-unquote couples come from but then again you do also you do also pretty clearly see the development of a um crush in between what is it chris and it's chris and yeah Yeah, chris and laura yeah like he goes from being super bitter to like after spending some time the alone time with her he's like falls in love and then she clings to him because he's like the person that doesn't go away. And you know what's interesting to think about here? These are rogue AI. Some of these feelings that they must be feeling, they're feeling for the very first time. Yes. I mean, we, we get that right off the bat with Thomas when he's extremely observant and curious. He's really, really naive about a lot of these new things he's experiencing. But that's true for all of them. Like those two characters, like Chris falling for Laura... That's probably the first time he's ever experienced feelings of affection. And that that's really interesting to think about. Right. And Laura's personality didn't come like pre-programmed. It came from her experiences. 
So like she had seen, you know, countless AI that were eaten by the pixel cloud that, that like, she was like, everybody that has been around me has like gone away and never come back. It's, it's safe to assume that she didn't start the way that she was presented in the very beginning. Holy shit. That's dark. Everyone I know has died. She like experienced death as an artificial intelligence. That's well, kind of Claire's intro. Yeah, and Claire is like, this is how I die. I feel useless. And, you know, I always knew that something like this would happen. And then she discovers this skill. And then it's like, oh, my God, there's this thing I can do that's really useful. And then from there, you see her personality develop from, like, one that's not, I'm useless. Like, there's nothing, I'm not contributing to the world to, like, she's she has this purpose and it's like to be a hero she has this sense of duty like i'm here to help these people and protect them because i have the ability to do so and just just to pull pull the curtain back a little bit we are still talking about basic <laughs> geometric, geometric shapes, shapes <laughs> that are all mostly some type of square squares or rectangles and <laughs> they are very basically colored in red white blue green gray i mean it's kind of incredible that we're having this deep discussion about shapes. And I think that's a testament to the quality of this game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, like, also, like, like, it also plays out mechanically, too, where, you know, especially, like, when you were talking about, like, with, like, the Chris and Laura relationship, like, those are two characters who constantly need each other in order to solve puzzles. Like, Chris can't jump high, he needs Laura's special ability. I will say, I think it was the simplicity of the design that also allowed for the power of a lot of the moments because the thing about that level of simplicity that these geometric shapes were offering is um the ability to easily create patterns on the levels often began in the very same way and ended in the very same way and because of those patterns there was significance so when those patterns were broken when a new character was introduced um, when the pixel cloud started taking the original architects away, there's a lot more story power in the fact that the level would linger for a half second longer so the pixel cloud could absorb someone because that's not normally how the level ended and you knew that this was unusual. Yeah, exactly. Like We get those feelings because just like the AIs, we're also learning about this world. We're learning about it alongside with them because this is our first introduction to it as well. So you're right, Caleb, whenever those patterns that we have observed, just like Thomas, we've observed certain patterns, we've written them down, we're getting used to them. When that pattern break happens, suddenly it's a powerful story moment. And it's something. It's, it's a part of the story that we know is either important or significant in some way, or it's a part of the story that we know we have to remember because there's a major pattern break. And it resonates with the human experience because what are people if not like these creatures that constantly kind of cultivate their environment to suit their own needs? They don't aren't following like a basic cycle. So like that's why I feel like a lot of this is I don't know, man. Some of my days feel like a basic cycle. I don't know, man. I mean <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can, I can uh, kind of relate to that. But I mean, like humans, we're that cre- we're the the creatures in the world that we can live anywhere because we manipulate our environment to suit our own needs and and not the reverse. And you know what's interesting? That's exactly what Thomas decides to do, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like he decides he's had enough of the world telling him what to do and where to go and where the next objective in life is. He decides that he wants to be the architect. He's going to be in charge, and he's going to be the one to manipulate the world. 
For next month, our memory card game is going to be on Shovel Knight. So check out our subreddit at r slash lore party. And if you have any comments or questions for us about Shovel Knight, uh, be sure to check out our uh, subreddit with post tagged as memory card or tweet at us at lore underscore party. Use the hashtag memory card. Thank you very much for joining us. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast platform that you may use. And we'll see you next time here on Lore Party. Lore Party.